I want to talk to you about Second uh, Peter chapter one. If you take your Bibles there, Second Peter chapter one and verses oh, let's say eight and ten. In in Second Peter chapter one is the pattern of spiritual growth. It's really profound. We're not preaching on that this morning, but I'm going to show it to you. It's the profundity of our growth. It's like a flower. Most of you have seen flowers like a rose. It's, it's a bulb. And then it opens a little bit, petal by petal. And it opens like that. That's what this is right here in Peter. It says, uh, start out with faith. The verses before this. It says you start out with faith. You do, don't you? You believe. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You start out with simple childlike faith. From that faith, what's God do after you get saved? He gives you virtue. That is, he, you quit smoking, drinking, cussing, acting ugly, and going with people who do. You begin to get the virtue of God. In other words, the virtue, the junk of the world begins to drop off of you. New, new saved people start with faith. They go with virtue. Virtue is anti-world. It doesn't. It makes sense to me that when you first get born from above, that you got to give up a bunch of stuff, quit a bunch of stuff, change your change your friends out. You know, sometimes even your relatives. And and you gotta you gotta just move away from where you were into a brand new world, the world of God rather than the world of, of the evil one. So the second thing there is virtue. Third thing, you begin to grow. What do you do? You read your Bible. First thing. So the first thing you got faith. The second thing you begin to move away from the sins and the evil and the, and the you know the habits, evil habits we get, the flesh, virtue. Then we grow in knowledge, don't we? Knowledge. That's the Bible. We begin to know. We don't even know John three sixteen. You get saved. You don't know that. Don't don't assume people know John three sixteen. They don't. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Quoted that thousands of times. But if you'd have got with me early on, I couldn't have quoted it. So I've grown in knowledge, haven't I? So have you, if you're a very old believer. So faith, and it leads to virtue and knowledge. And what's that knowledge do for you? It gives you self-control, spirit control. So you begin to learn to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. That's, that's the word self-control. And then, then after that, you have uh, you, the next thing you go in is patience. It lists there. I'm just going down this list here. Patience. Patience does not come without trouble. Tribulation, the Bible says, worketh patience. So, what happens after you begin, you get saved, right? You got faith, you begin to separate from the world, you get the knowledge of the Bible, and then God begins to give you the ability of having self-control, or if I may say, control of the Holy Spirit. It's the ninth fruit of the Spirit, temperance. And then what happens is you get patience. We don't get patience without trouble. It's not mentioned there. But the trouble comes, you trust God, and that gives you patience. In other words, you wait on the Lord. There's a lot said in the Bible about waiting on God, waiting on God, waiting on God. It's not an easy thing to do. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. What do you in here do? And then from that, oh, now here's the good stuff. If you wait on God and trust Him all the way up to these points here, you got faith, right? you got virtue, you got knowledge, you got self-control, you got trouble, you trust God in it then what happens is you begin to get like God. You begin to get godliness, godlikeness. 
you begin to have some of the attitudes God has. In other words, he replaces your bad attitudes with his attitudes. And then that leads to brotherly kindness. You begin to get, instead of junkyard dog mean, you start getting a little bit of godly kindness. And that leads to the final, the final stage of growth is agape love. Now you begin to have love like God has love. You begin to love stuff God loves. You begin to love church. You begin to love the hymns of the faith. You begin to love lost people. You begin to care about the body. You know, all these things work together. Now it says um, in verse 8, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You get that? Now that cannot be said until the end of your world, the end of your spiritual life towards the end of your spiritual life. Because these things cannot be in you and abound. Shazam. It takes a little time. God is growing an oak tree. He's not growing uh, uh, corn. You know, it takes three, four months. Boom, boom, boom. He's growing an oak tree. And he's growing something of substance in your life. So it's really talking about here, towards the end of your spiritual experience, if you have these things, and you should have them, then you're going to abound, and you're going to have fruit, and that fruit's going to remain in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then look in verse 10. This is our text. Wherefore the rather, brethren, it uses the word diligence. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. That's your salvation and growth in Christ. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Hello? I like that. When I first read that, I stopped and said, never fall? I like guarantees. You know? The devil whispers whispers in my ear, and some of my relatives whisper in my ear, you're never going to make it. The Holy Spirit comes by in His sweet. And by the, the breath of the Holy Spirit is sweet. It's like night-blooming jasmine. He says, if you'll do... Yeah. If these things be in you and abound, you'll never fall. I hope that's you this morning. I hope you have that as a goal. I hope you do. We can go home now. Now let me go back to my introduction. The Bible talks about running a race, doesn't it? It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, let us, in verse 2, let us, in verse 1, actually let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Paul talks about running a race. If you're going to run a race and win, you've got to have a plan. I wouldn't give you much for a Christian without a plan. I wouldn't give you much for a Christian that's haphazard, careless, doesn't really take it serious. Neither would I give you much for a runner, you know, an Olympic runner that practiced when he felt like it. You know? Didn't diet right, didn't eat right, didn't 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 really exercise, but here, there, and yon, just sporadic, 
sporadic people do not end well. Diligent people end well. By the way, let me look back here for a second. A few words. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, you don't have to turn there. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing the same affliction are accomplished in the brethren that are in the world. I look at some words there. We're, we're to have diligence as a born-again believer. We're to be sober as a born-again believer. We're to have vigilance as a born-again believer. We're to, have, we're to resist and be steadfast. Right? That's not no sissy play. That's not no sissy boy stuff. That's real deal. So we have, we're running a race. I read an article one time about a guy that wrote biographies, and he says when we write people's biographies, we should start with their death, not with their birth. After all, we have nothing to do with the way. We began. We have a lot to do with the way we end. You can't help who you were born to. Some people in this room had terrible parents. They were terrible, by definition. Maybe alcoholics, maybe drug addicts. Maybe your mom was an immoral woman. Maybe she was almost never home. Maybe mom and dad didn't care about you. They, they, had, they allowed you to get abused by your relatives and stuff, and things went on, and it shouldn't have went on. You can't help how you begin, but you can sure help how you end. And you don't have to let that kind of beginning mess your end up. I want to talk to you this morning in a few minutes about your end, how to end the way God wants you to end. Hopefully I can get her done. Paul said, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He had a plan. Peter, we just read, had a plan. You start out with faith. He showed you the plan there. Romans 1.11 says, For I long to see you, that I may impart upon you some spiritual gift. Why? To the end you may be established. Paul cared about that. 2 Corinthians 1, 13, 14. We write, for we write none other things unto you than what you've read and acknowledged. I trust you shall acknowledge even to the end. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, 13. For the Lord, to make you to increase and abound in love toward one another, toward another, and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end, that he may establish your hearts, how? Unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way I want to meet Jesus. We can learn to end well is what I'm trying to say. We can learn to end well. But I want to give you a warning. I'm going to give you five warnings this morning of people who crashed and burned in some degree in the area of their strengths. I don't think you have to... I think when you're weak in something, you know it, don't you? Some of you are weak towards chocolate, and you know it. 
Uh, some of you are weak towards uh, ribeye, and you know us. Some of you are weak towards um, maybe uh, sexual temptation, and you know it. Uh, some of you are weak toward you're lazy, and you know it. Some of you are slobs. I'm not going to name any names, but some of you are slobs, but that's a weakness with you. And by the way, being a slob is a weakness. Some of you are gluttons. It's a weakness. You know it. I don't think you got to really be. Most people know when they got a weakness. The problem I'm going to show you with these five examples are people who failed in their strength. They failed in their strong area. Bible says, when you think you stand, beware lest you fall. That's a paraphrase. It doesn't say when you think you're weak, beware, but when you think you stand. In other words, what it's saying in your strong area, pay attention, because it's possible for you to fall in that strong area. Let's start out. I'm going to go real fast here, and I'm going to cover lots of material. If you're a young believer, you're going to not understand a lot of this, but it's like a buffet. Take what you can take and leave what you don't understand. For the other folks. Abraham. Abraham covers Genesis chapter 12 verse 20 through 25 of chapter of Genesis. He's called the man of faith. Abraham was a man of faith. He was the father of all them that believe, according to Romans chapter 4, verse 11. He was called faithful Abraham in Galatians chapter 3, verse 9. God confirmed a covenant with him in Genesis chapter 12, verse 15. Simply knock your socks off. He said, Your seed will be as the stars of heaven. He communed directly with God. Many instances, this is Abraham I'm talking about. It was said of him that he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. He was the one who believed God so much that he was willing to offer his only son. I'm talking about sacrifice, his only son. God asked him of that. Now, I will say this. You know how strong you are by the tests you go through. I can tell you, Abraham, God thought Abraham was one strong old boy. When he took his only son, the son of promise, and he said, take him up, and I want you to kill him up here on Mount Moriah. He had confidence in his strength in his area. So I don't think any, that's Genesis 21, by the way. I don't think anybody would dispute the fact that Abraham was strong in the area of faith. Amen? I'm going to be like, Hello? What problem? What problems did Abraham have? What was his problem area? He lied twice and said his wife wasn't his wife. Now I don't know about you, but that's not good marriage. That's not the way to make it to fifty years. You start doing that, and you make it fifty minutes. Deny your wife is your wife, especially when there's a danger factor to save his own hide. He lied twice. Why? Fear for his own life. He had no faith. He could have told the truth, believe in God. Believing God would have saved him. If he, I think if you tell the truth, God's on your side. Abraham lied twice in his area of his strength. He didn't believe. He had no faith. He took Hagar as a wife to raise up a child of promise. Now look, folks, when his wife offered him Hagar, he should have said, no, it's going to come through you. 
he failed in the area of his strength. Faith. He had no faith. What about, there's another one here. He left the land of promise when he was uh, told to stay there and went to Egypt during a famine, Genesis chapter 12, verse 10 and following. It was a failure in the area of faith. So Abraham failed a number of times in his strong area. That's right. The second example is Noah. Noah we find in Genesis chapter 6 or Genesis chapter 10. Noah was known. His strength was personal righteousness. Yeah. He was the one. He's, it was said two different times. He walked with God. Um, even though the earth was full of violence and corruption, and every, every thought of a man, intent of a man's heart was evil continually. Noah was called a just man and perfect in the midst of his generation. He preached over 100, 100, 120 years righteousness as he built the ark. What was his problem? So let's settle the fact that, that his, his strength was personal righteousness. He lived in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yet he was called a just man. He was called complete or perfect, whole in God, righteous. Preacher of righteousness. But after the flood, he plants a vineyard, gets drunk, stupid drunk. And he loses his self-control and gets publicly naked, debauched naked. His son comes in there. I don't know what went on with that deal. I don't know what went on, but something bad happened between he and his son and while he was drunk naked. And that boy was cursed by God, and his whole lineage was cursed by God. So you could say, without having any doubt about it, no dispute, that the, 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 the strength of Noah was personal righteousness, but where he failed was in his area of strength, his, his righteousness. Righteous people don't get stupid drunk. Because when you get stupid drunk, you do stupid stuff. Like Lot did when he got stupid drunk. And then we have Elijah. Ooh. Now, I like Elijah. Elijah was a man of no fear. He had toxic masculinity. I'm thinking of doing a, a, a banner out there. Toxic masculinity. Glory to God. I mean, Elijah had it. He fearlessly preached the truth in that most hostile environment you could put yourself in. The boy rebuked kings. He pronounced God's judgment on the whole land, told him one going to reign for three and a half years. He challenged every one of the false prophets in his land. You talk about being, you talk about going against peer pressure. This old boy went against peer pressure. They had 850 false prophets and Elijah. And he challenged them. Of course, it was with God's direction. Told them they were going to be a, we're going to have a, a, we're going to duke it out on Mount Carmel. You build your altar and you call for half a day for God to bring fire down on it. And if that don't happen, I'll build my altar. And in fact, I'll put a bunch of water on my altar. Just in, add insult to injury. We'll just soak our wood solid 
And then we'll pray. We'll see who's God. Is it Baal? Who's God? Jehovah's God. He called fire down from heaven. Everybody remembers that story. It's from Sunday school on. He called fire. That was probably like lightning came down and fried the altar, fried the water, fried everything around it. It was nothing but a black cinder when it got done. Glory, when I read that passage of the Bible, I want to shout hallelujah. I serve a great God. Glory. I pray, oh God, give me the, give me the, give me the, uh, Toxic masculinity of Elijah. Lord God, help me to stand up against my peers that have fallen away. Lord God, help me to stand for righteousness when there's nobody around me that's standing for it. When everybody's forsaken me and everybody thinks I'm a fool, may I stand for the truth. That's Elijah. It's good to pray for. So what happened? A little old frail woman says, Elijah, you're going to be dead before tonight because I'm going to kill you. Jezebel. I'm thinking the guy would go, who is Jezebel compared to God? That's good preaching. No. Oh, Jezebel's good. He runs down to Beersheba, leaves his servant Beersheba, goes down to the wilderness, hides in a cave, goes under a tree and said, Lord, I don't want to live. My life is no good. I'm shot. Now, he just had the greatest victory maybe known in that whole land, maybe ever in, in the history. Of, and, and he just turns around. What happened to Elijah? He failed in the area of his strength, didn't he? And he failed miserably, didn't he? How about Solomon? Now, Solomon is considered the wisest man that ever lived. He built the first temple. I mean, he followed instructions in explicitly. He prospered greatly. He became the most famous king of Israel. He dedicated the temple and literally saw the Shekinah glory of God come down. God appeared to Solomon twice. How many times he appeared to you? He appeared to Solomon twice, said, what do you want? What do you want? I'll do it. And he said, huh? Give me the ability to know how to judge this great people, for I don't know how to come in or go out. I need your help. God said, ooh, I like that. I like that. I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you fame. I'm going to give you power. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you every, ooh, I like that. So he was the wisest man that ever lived. The Bible says there's nobody wiser before him, nobody wiser after him. After him. Where did he fail? First Kings 11, 4 through 8 says, It came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart. He married a lot of women. After other gods, and his heart was not perfect toward the Lord God, he Likewise, he did all. Likewise, did he for all his strange wives, which burn incense, sacrifice unto their gods. He turned away from God, who made him great. Nobody could be wise that had a thousand mother-in-laws.
He's a fool. Where did he? You're not even supposed to get two women in the kitchen. You're not supposed to get two women in the same under the same roof. Why? Because women are such peacemakers. Imagine that horror. He failed in his strength. Now my, my fifth and last example is Moses. Moses was considered the meekest of every, anybody that ever lived. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Does this sound right or is my, maybe my hearing's getting better? Numbers 12, verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men that were upon the face of the earth. Hello? Above all the men that were upon the Meekness. What's meekness? Meekness is what Jesus had. Jesus was meek. Jesus, you know the hardest, when Jesus was, was suffering at Gethsemane three times, throwing his face on his face to the ground, Lord, if it be possible, this cup passed from me. What was he struggling with? Part of it was he had the ability to stop it. Jesus had the power. He said, could I not call 12 legions of angels? Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Those boys that were smacking him and spitting on him didn't know how close they were to hell. They didn't know how close they were. I think Michael and Gabriel were standing back there going, what in the world? You don't even disrespect God. You're not supposed to take His name in vain. And here they're smacking Him and laughing at Him and hurting Him. What was Jesus? Meek. What's meekness? It's controlled power. He had the power, but He controlled it. It's a surrender to God's will with a trusting humility that all will work out accordingly. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what Moses did? He had, a, he had a meek spirit towards God that basically everything was going to work out. Moses obeyed God and trusted God by turning from the pleasures of sin of Egypt for a season. He trusted God. He obeyed God. He choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God, Hebrews 11.25, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. If you could give Moses a characteristic, you would say he was meticulously obedient and could be trusted with the power he was given to do the will of God. He was given power. What was his problem? At Meribah, Moses was instructed to speak to a rock and water would come out for the folks. Instead, here's what he said. Numbers chapter 20, verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock and said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. 
And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and the beasts also. In other words, God honored his power. He was given the power, but he misused it. What does God think about that? Oh, he don't like that. Moses begged him to be able to go into the promised land, and God said, because you, well, I'll read it, verse 12. Because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation to the land which I have given you. Though Moses had power with God, he couldn't change God's mind on that. God said, you're not going in. Now, did Moses go in? Sure he did after he died. Because in the Mount of Transfiguration, who were the two people up there? That was in Palestine. That was in the land that they conquered. Who were those two people? Well, Moses was one of them. He got to go in. But not then he didn't. So these people, Abraham was a man of faith. He failed in unbelief. Noah, a man of righteousness, failed in, in uh, lasciviousness. Elijah, a man of courage, he failed in fear of man. Solomon, a man of wisdom, sinned by ignoring wisdom and being a fool. Moses, a man of meekness, sinned by self-willed, out-of-control anger. I say to, to you today, be careful how you end. And be strong and strengthen your strong areas. I heard people say to me, I, I've been moral with my woman for, you know, 25, 30 years, and they fail in morality towards the end of their life. You know where men mostly fail in marriage? In their 50s. Troy's going to be 50 next year. His wife's going to be 50. He thought he was past possibly the most dangerous part of their marriage, which if you knew Andrea, you'd understand why he thought that. But the dangerous area is coming up. Right, Jeffrey? Because you fail in the area of your strength because you forget that when you think you stand, beware lest you fall. So when should you start being aware? Be aware when you get aged, Tom Gillespie. Start being aware. Oh, I, I've been, okay, you've been faithful all those years, but now these last 10 years, don't blow it. You old people. Notice I said you, old people. The young people are looking to you. They are. They're saying to these people who have been saved 50, 60 years, you think they can, you think there's power in, in the gospel? You think there's power in the Bible? Do you think they can end well? Do you think they will end well? Well, I've been encouraged in my life to see some of these old boys end well. Do right all the way to the end. I'm not going to, yes, I've seen failure. Sure I have. Look, I just named you five right there out of the book. All that does is encourage me to be stronger in that area. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, not after Christ. 2 Peter 3, 17, You therefore, beloved, see you know these things before, beware. Lest you also, being led away of the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. That means you're steadfast. 
1 Corinthians 16, 13, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. That's a quote. So, I believe that you've been warned again this morning. And you say, well, if I'm 20 years old, no, no, you've been warned too. You've been warned too. All of us take this, whatever stage we're at, we got to be careful, pay attention, give diligence, give vigilance, watch, stand, and be strong in the area of our strength. Of our strength. I've never stolen anything. God bless your soul. Don't end up stealing something the last few years of your life. If you're in a nursing home, leave them up. Don't take, don't do it. I want to end well. How about you? I want to end well. I believe we can end well. May God help us to stand together. Father, thank you for the few minutes we've reviewed five men who failed in the area of their strengths. The Bible says in twice in the New Testament that the Old Testament has been written for our admonition, our warning. I believe if, if, if these boys fail, I could fail. I, I believe if Abraham failed, I could fail. Moses failed, I could fail. Elijah failed, I could fail. Noah failed, I could fail. God help us not to fail. Help us to be strong all the way home. Help us to take that list in 2 Peter. It starts with faith and ends with love. May it, be, may it be in our lives. May we grow, stay steady in the faith. Now there may be some fear. Without Christ your Savior, you've come today, you're seeking something more, something better. I hope that you'll give Christ a chance. That you'll give the Bible a chance, you'll give the gospel a chance, and that you'll meditate on it, look at it, peruse it. And when the Holy Spirit comes by and tells you that's the truth, that you'll accept it by simple faith. We can help you do that right here today. We'd love you to be able to be saved today, know Christ, have your sins forgiven. What a place. But, believer, Believer, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Stand, having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Help us, O God, to end well, even in the area of our strengths. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.